Welcome, everybody, to the first official episode of the Goose Talk Pod. I am your host, Justin Gooseman, a.k.a. The Goose, and we are back for the first ever episode. I've tried to record this a couple times, hasn't worked out very well, but this is the one. This is the one. We're getting this one out regardless. I don't care what happens. I don't care how it sounds. We're going to get this going. So on the agenda today, we're going to talk a lot about the NBA Obviously, the NBA tipped off last week, and we've seen a lot so far. So we're going to talk about the NBA. We're going to talk some college football. We're going to talk some NFL football. And then we're probably going to wrap it up talking about some Texas Longhorns basketball. So let's get started talking a little bit about the NBA. And if you follow me on TikTok, Strive NBA, you know that I decided in terms of who was going to come out of the East, who was going to come out of the West, I said it was going to be the Philadelphia 76ers and the Golden State Warriors. And the 76ers have looked terrible. They have no rhythm on offense. It's give the ball to James Harden, give the ball to Joel Embiid, and move out of the way. There is no swing ball movement. They don't swing the ball well. They do not find open shooters. And Tyrese Maxey has largely been a transition basketball player. He moves the ball down the floor in transition, but he hasn't been able to get in the flow of the offense in the half court. And they're really struggling to get Embiid the ball in the flow of the offense. It's get him the ball and let him work, but if it doesn't work out, they're screwed for that possession. And so the 76ers have looked really bad. Um, The Warriors, the Warriors have looked solid, but their defense is atrocious. They haven't given up 70 points in three straight halves in like franchise history or something like that. And they, their defense has looked awful. That second unit does not know what they're doing out there. And if you know anything about me, I am a Warriors fan, but I like to say that I view the NBA very objectively. And I know the Warriors pretty dang well. I would say this team has a lot of talent. There's obviously a ton of potential, but I don't know how far they can make it if this is the defense that they have. Obviously, we're only five games into the NBA season for most teams. Some teams have only played four. So I'm not overreacting too much about either of those teams. I think the 76ers figure it out. I think the Warriors figure it out. But there's some concerns for both of those teams. I think the 76ers should be pressing the panic button just a little bit. They made some moves this offseason, and they've started the season incredibly slow. Um, So, yeah, I don't know about either of those two teams coming out of their respective conferences right now the way they've looked. But like I said, very early in the season, they'll figure it out. But let's look at some award picks. Before the season started on TikTok, I chose Paolo Bancaro to win Rookie of the Year. I am very firm in that pick. I think that's a great pick. I think Paolo Bancaro could average 25 this year. I think he could be an all-star this year. Um, I don't know if he will be because the Magic suck. They cannot win a basketball game, which I don't know necessarily is bad for the Magic. If you could pair Victor Wembanyama with Paolo Bancaro, you're set up for the next 15 years. So I don't think the Magic are necessarily trying to win games. But Paolo Bancaro looks elite. I love what I'm seeing from him. At the MVP, I actually chose Kevin Durant. And I thought that KD was going to have a monster season this year. You know, all of the drama of the offseason, losing James Harden, coming back to the Nets, getting swept in the playoffs. I thought KD was going to come back and be absolutely unstoppable and he's looked really really good but I don't know where the Nets are going to go I don't like their roster overall 
And I don't know if they win enough games for him to be considered most valuable when that has been one of the big contentions of debate with that award. So as of right now, I mean, I'm going to stick with the pick, but I'm going to give you another guy to watch in that race, and that's John Morant. Oh, my goodness. Can we talk about John Morant for a minute? Because what John Morant has been doing has been special. No Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaw has put on a clinic, and he's improved his three-point shooting. Tremendously, he's improved his three-point shooting. Uh, he hit a dagger the other day. I, I believe it was against the Nets, against Kevin Durant. He hit a three-pointer to push them up, what, nine or ten, under a minute to go. And, man, that's if Jaw is shooting that shot with confidence with a minute to go in a game, the rest of the NBA should be scared. Honestly, they should be scared. For sixth man of the year, I think it's going to be Jordan Poole. Um, I know I said I'm a Warriors fan, but it's either Jordan Poole or Christian Wood thus far. And I don't know if that's going to change the rest of this season. Um, Christian Wood definitely has a great argument. But I think the only thing that could stop him from winning that award is if he becomes a starter. And I think that is very likely, especially the way he's been playing as of late. Putting him in that starting lineup with Luka Doncic would really allow that offense to thrive. Um, The Mavericks as a whole... I don't know how they're going to be this year. They'll be okay. They'll make the playoffs. But losing Jalen Brunson hurts. He's been putting on a show in New York. And the way he could speed their tempo up really caught some teams off guard last year, especially in the playoffs. We saw it against Phoenix. We saw it against Utah. Not so much against Golden State. But again, Golden State had the best defense in the league. So I think the Mavericks are going to struggle this year. They can't push the ball nearly as fast. A lot of it is give the ball to Luka, get out of the way. But... Sixth man of the year, I think Christian Wood definitely has to be in consideration. At the end of the day, though, I think he becomes a starter. That's why I think it's going to be Jordan Poole, and that's who I'm going to go with. So now that we've talked a little bit about the NBA and about my award picks, we're actually going to transition into some NFL football because the NFL season has been really strange, to say the least. Um a lot of teams like the Buccaneers, the Ravens struggling. They're playing tonight on Thursday Night Football, by the way. A lot of teams str- uh, struggling thus far this year. The NFC East is the best division in football out of where? Where did that come from? I mean, seriously. But one of the things that I really wanted to talk about in the NFL is from last week's Monday Night Game. Bears versus Patriots. Bill Belichick, what are you doing? You drafted a quarterback in the first round last year in Mac Jones. And then Bailey Zappi comes in for hurt Mac Jones. He looks okay, but he doesn't look... He, he's not much better than Mac Jones. I don't think he's any better than Mac Jones, to be honest with you. But we're going to give Mac Jones a quarter of football to prove himself coming back from an injury, and then you're going to bench him? Come on, what are we doing? How is that setting up a quarterback for success? A young quarterback, by any means. And Patriots fans... What are really? You're gonna give Bailey Zappi a standing ovation like he's your savior after two good games of football? I mean, come on. Like, if I'm Mac Jones, man, that's such a tough situation to be in. You're you're seen as like the guy coming into that franchise. And nobody is giving you the time that they're giving to a guy like Trevor Lawrence 
or to a guy like Zach Wilson or to a guy like Justin Fields. Instead, Bill Belichick is going to say, no, you have a year to develop. And then we're going to let you play the second year, but you get hurt. Okay, so Bailey Zappi plays some. And then you come back and you make one mistake and you're benched like that? And let's be real. Mac Jones easily could have made the throws that Bailey Zappi made against the Bears. Like that touchdown pass in the on his first drive, come on, that's a blown coverage. Mac Jones could have made that throw in his sleep. I it's 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 ridiculous to me that people still think that Bill Belichick is some football mastermind when he hasn't done anything since Brady left. He's always had an incredibly talented roster with the greatest quarterback to ever play this game. And then he doesn't give a young quarterback more than a year and three games to prove himself. Get out of here with that. I I have nothing more to say. But Sunday night football. Let's talk about some Sunday night football because the Bills and Packers play each other. And I think it's going to be a massacre. I'm not going to overthink it and say, oh, everybody thinks that the Bills are going to win 20 plus and Aaron Rodgers has nothing to lose, so he's going to go out and play it close. I don't think that happens. To be honest with you, I think the Bills, I think the Bills win by 20 plus. Um, Von Miller is going to make Aaron Rodgers' life a living hell, and the the Packers are doing nothing with AJ Dillon. Like, what is going on with that? You have no wide receivers other than old ass Randall Cobb and some younger guys that are speedy but they don't have the hands. Their route running is not that solid. And Aaron Jones has had a good season, but Aaron Jones can't carry you. Aaron Rodgers can with some talent around him, and they don't have that talent around him. So I don't think the Packers are going to do anything on Sunday night. Again, Von Miller is going to wreak havoc on Aaron Rodgers, and I think Josh Allen is going to continue to look like the MVP that he is. Stephon Diggs, as well, is going to have a very solid game. I see the Bills winning like 35-14, to 14, if I'm honest with you. Other than that, the NFL this week, not a ton of crazy good games, but I'm a Falcons fan, so we're going to talk a little Falcons football because it's my podcast. I make the rules here. The Falcons are 3-4, and four, and they're competing with the Bucks for that top spot in the division. If the Bucks lose tonight... Falcons technically would have the top spot in that division. And they play the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. Are Falcons fans scared of the Carolina Panthers? Absolutely not. I don't care what they did to the Buccaneers. The Falcons are not a worse team than the Carolina Panthers. They have an elite running game. They have a solid defense this year with some young guys on that defensive line that can get pressure on the quarterback. The Panthers lost Christian McCaffrey. I know they have Hubbard and Foreman, and they have a running game. But they haven't shown me anything outside of one week where they looked okay. And so I really just don't think that the Panthers are going to be able to do much this week. And I think the Falcons win. It'll probably be close because the Falcons are always close. But I'm going to pick the Falcons to win 24-14. to 14. All right. That's my take on the Falcons. I like what they're doing this year. Really glad they didn't get Deshaun Watson because screw that guy. Um, but other than that, not a ton going on in the NFL. We got a lot of trades, a lot of rumors at least as we approach the trade deadline. And to, just today, Kadarius Tony was traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. 
And I really like that move for the Chiefs, to be honest with you. That he he tweeted out that he's not injured anymore, which is huge. Um, if he's not injured, then I mean that Chiefs wide receiver wide receiver core is scary. They're fast. They're they have Juju who can make some plays. They got Sky Moore, a young guy, Marcus Valdez Scantling, who has plenty of experience. I mean. I, I don't know who's stopping the Chiefs other than maybe the Bills. Again, it's going to come down to the Bills and Chiefs. And those two teams know it. The rest of the NFL knows it. Unless something crazy happens in the playoffs, I mean, it's going to be those two teams in the AFC Championship. Some other news we got out of the NFL today. Jamar Chase down four to six weeks, which really hurts the Bengals. Um, you know, I thought the Bengals had figured it out last week. They played a depleted Falcons team. They routed them. They looked really, really good overall. Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, they all looked great. But now you're down Jamar Chase, and defenses don't have to bring that safety over for his help. They can play a lot more too deep. They don't have to shade him at all. They can stack the box a little bit to stop Joe Mixon. They can bring more pressure now. And that's going to make the Bengals a lot more one-dimensional in a sense not necessarily one-dimensional they can still throw the ball with Joe Burrow they still have good wide receivers but I don't know if they have enough to continue winning at high enough of a level to make the playoffs or to sustain themselves until Chase gets back Um, the Ravens haven't shown a ton the Browns haven't shown a ton the Steelers are dog so Bengals could still make the playoffs but it's going to be tough without Chase the next coming weeks to really stay Elite on the offensive end as the if you're the Bengals. Um, other than that, the NFL, there's not a ton to talk about right now. We could talk about the NFC East, but we're going to transition into some college football because I'm not going to lie. College football has been incredibly fun to watch this year. As a University of Texas student, I have had a blast going to their games, but they piss me off because just like the Atlanta Falcons, Texas blows second-half leads better than anybody I have ever seen. So we're going to talk about what went wrong for Texas this year. And we're going to start with that Alabama game. I was there. I got to watch Bryce Young take Alabama down the field with like a minute to go and win that game. And I really thought after that game, Texas is back. I was so ready for the rest of the season. But Texas wasn't back. They proved once again that they weren't. So you start the season against Alabama. You play a great game, but Quinn Ewers goes down. And I believe the way Quinn was slinging the ball in that game, they they win that game with Quinn. But we'll never know. So we're going to move on. Okay. Hudson Card plays. He looks okay versus UTSA. And then you go into Lubbock. Hostile environment. Texas has a lead in the second half. But the inability to stop the hurry-up offense has hurt Texas all year long. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, they can't stop a mobile quarterback. Well, they can't. At the same time, they also are not ever prepared for a hurry-up offense. The penalties, we saw it against Texas Tech. We saw it against Oklahoma State. It's ridiculous. Sarkeesian has to do something because the penalties when another team goes hurry-up or just the penalties in general should not be happening. 
Another issue with Texas is their play calling in the second half of games. I mean, I remember a specific play against Texas Tech. It's third down and three or four. And Sark calls a rollout to the weak side of the field, or I guess they're on the right hash, and and then they roll out to the right. And you have Hudson Card throwing on the run. That's the design of that play. But Hudson Card is not a quarterback with amazing arm talent. He gives you a lot with his legs, but when you roll out to the short side of the field, you're limiting him to having to throw balls in extremely tight windows on the sideline with multiple defenders, and the entire defense is on that side of the field. He doesn't have the opportunity to make that play with his legs. I watched Steve Sarkeesian make that same play call with the Atlanta Falcons the year after they blew the Super Bowl lead against the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs in Philly, fourth and goal, Sarkeesian rolls Matt Ryan to the short side of the field to try and find Julio Jones in the back corner of the end zone. Do you understand how tough of a throw that is for any quarterback, for Matt Ryan, for Tom Brady, for Aaron Rodgers, for Patrick Mahomes, for Josh Allen, let alone Hudson Card. And that's, that's the exact reason why they lost that game was second half play calling and then obviously the defense didn't play great but when your offense doesn't put up any points or stay on the field for very long at all your defense you can't rely on them and then Oklahoma State that game mm, that game was rough because Quinn Ewers did not look like what he had showed us for most of the year um what I like about Quinn is he's always calm and composed, but in this game, he seemed, it seemed like the footwork was off, everything was a little bit rushed, and when your footwork is not that of a Peyton Manning or an Aaron Rodgers, Quinn likes to drop back and kind of sit on his toes. He doesn't really bounce around a lot. He doesn't maneuver the pocket all that much, and then he kind of relies on his arm talent a lot, and you were in a windy Stillwater, Oklahoma, and... The footwork was not what it should have been, to be honest. Of course you're going to miss some throws. And he was missing throws, and receivers weren't on the same page as him. And I know Xavier Worthy had one play late in that fourth quarter. Quinn threw a dot, and Worthy falls. It was a third down. Worthy falls in the end zone, doesn't make the play. So you bring out your kicker to try and go up three, and he shanks it wide left. And it just felt like one of those games where everything that could go wrong for Texas went wrong. And I don't, I, I mean, after that game, clearly the frustration was there among everybody in the building because they didn't stay for the eyes of Texas, which I don't really care about, to be honest. But at the same time, it just shows that everybody was pissed with the way that game went. Fans, coaches, players, doesn't matter. But everything that could go wrong in that game went wrong. And that seems like the theme every time Texas loses. And at what point does that become coaching? Because Steve Sarkeesian did it all last season. I saw it happen in Atlanta, too. The play calling in the second half was just not what it should have been. And that's happening right here in Texas now. So I don't know where Texas goes from here because they have Kansas State and TCU coming up after this bye, and then they finish the season against Kansas, who is not an easy win. And so if Texas can win out, 
yeah, we're talking about, okay, we're fine. We'll get Arch Manning next year. Quinn will have another year under his belt. Texas will come back stronger than ever. If you lose a couple of those games, you lose all three of those games, then we're, then we're really talking about a team that needs to fire a head coach. And I don't want to be the guy to say that because I like Sarkeesian's schemes, but they don't seem to execute and they don't seem to make the right plays all the time. So it's frustrating as a Texas fan. And as a football fan, you can see exactly where it's going wrong every single time in the second half. Other teams adjust and we don't. So it is what it is, but Texas is going to have to figure it out because if they don't, Sarkeesian is gone. You're looking at a real possibility of losing some major recruits, and I don't think Texas really wants that to happen again, especially after Tom Herman and some of those guys that have been through the coaching carousel the last few years. Speaking of the Big 12, though, does TCU have a legit shot at the playoff? I mean, to be honest, I think they do. Let's look at the rest of their schedule because they've looked extremely good so far this season. They play West Virginia, Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, and Iowa State. Guess what? The hardest part of their schedule is done. And the only game where they play in an elite road environment is here at Texas. That's going to be the hardest game remaining on their schedule. They could end the season undefeated going into the Big 12 championship. And if they win that game, how are you keeping them out? I mean, you're going to have a Michigan team or an Ohio State team with one loss. You're going to have an Alabama with one loss. Tennessee or Georgia will have one loss. So, I mean, I I don't know how you keep TCU out. If Clemson loses and TCU is undefeated, how would you keep Clemson in over TCU? I think TCU definitely has a legit shot at the playoff. I think they will win out. I mean, I hope Texas can beat them at home. But I think TCU does win out. So do they have a legit shot at the playoff? The answer to that question is yes. However, I brought up some interesting teams in that last question. That is Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. Who wins the SEC, folks? The SEC is loaded. Georgia will play their rivalry game against Florida this weekend. And then they'll play Tennessee. And one of those teams is going to have to lose. And one of those teams will go on to the SEC championship where they'll likely play Alabama. So Alabama could be walking away with this, from this season with two losses. Or you could have a Georgia team with one loss, a Tennessee team with one loss, and an Alabama team with one loss. Say Tennessee beats Georgia, they go to the SEC championship, then they lose to Alabama. Boom, you got three SEC teams with one loss. Who are you putting in, right? I mean, you probably put in the SEC champs. So say that's Alabama. You put them in. If Georgia loses to Tennessee, I mean, you can't keep Tennessee out if they've beaten Alabama once and beaten Georgia. So I think you would probably go Tennessee and Alabama in that instance. But obviously that could change because you could end up having Tennessee just run the table, win out, beat Georgia, beat Alabama in the ICC championship, and then it's not even a question. You put in Tennessee, you put in Georgia, Alabama doesn't make it. But we'll see what happens. I think... I do think Tennessee is going to win the SEC. Um, Hendon Hooker has looked outstanding. Uh, Their defense makes plays. They're really exciting to watch. They have an amazing fan base, amazing home field. Their coach is obviously he wants to be there. 
which I think is a big factor. Um, I like what I've seen from Tennessee so far. I need to watch more Tennessee football, to be honest. The only game I've watched from them was the Alabama game, and I've kept up with their, obviously, their stats. I've watched the box scores, but I think, I really do. From what I saw in that Alabama game, I think they probably run the table and win the SEC. So that's what I'm going to go with, but college football will be very exciting to watch as the season winds down because a lot of interesting things could play out. You got the Ohio State-Michigan game coming up. Then you'll have the Big Ten Championship. That'll be big. You have all of these SEC matchups coming up. You got Tennessee and Georgia. You'll have the SEC Championship. Clemson looked iffy against Syracuse. I thought Syracuse could have, should have won that game, and they didn't. And obviously, TCU's a fun team. So you never know. A lot of things could happen in college football this season. A lot of time left. All right, so we've talked a little bit of NBA, we've talked some NFL, and we've talked some college football. Now would be a great time for a sponsorship. Any, any, anyone trying to sponsor me? That'd be nice, right? Get a little get a little cash for a broke college kid. But no, we're going to talk some more NBA, just a little bit, then we're going to wrap this episode up. Let's talk, let's, I mean, the jazz. The jazz. If I had some music, I'd be playing it right now. If I had my saxophone from back in middle school, mmm. I'd be playing some jazz music because they have been cooking for no reason at all. We have a Kelly Olynyk buzzer beater. We have Laurie Markkinen looking like Larry Bird. What's going on in Utah? I thought that roster was supposed to be tanking for Wembenyama, but they're four and one. And I mean, hell, they've looked good. I don't, I don't think they sustain it and make the playoffs, but they've looked good. They're a fun team to watch. They're no longer an easy out when you think of the Western Conference. And to be honest with you, I thought them and the Spurs would be the bottom of the West, but Spurs have looked okay too. They're averaging the highest amount of assists in the league. The Spurs have 30.8 assists every single game. I mean, this is like prime Popovich all over again with a roster with guys like Keldon Johnson, Josh Primo, Devin Vassell. I mean, wild to watch. This NBA start to the NBA season has been crazy. Another thing to talk about, DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. They've looked. They've been fun to watch. That Hawks team has been fun. I believe they're four and one, three and one. Um, but Trey Young has again looked like an elite point guard. Dejounte Murray looks like he's great to pair next to him. Neither of them have had a game where they've both gone off quite yet. But it's five games into the season. They'll figure it out. And the Hawks will as well. I mean, DeAndre Hunter looks like he's worthy of that extension that he signed. John Collins has looked good again. And they still need to get Bogdan Bogdanovich back. So we'll see what happens with the Hawks. But they're a fun team to watch for in that Eastern Conference. Speaking of fun teams to watch, for all the wrong reasons, the Lakers. (laughs) Oh, man. The Lakers are trash. To put it simply, the Lakers are trash. Um, They're the worst constructed roster in the league. And I know you've probably heard that from anybody talking about the Lakers. But they are hot garbage. I mean, you finally figured out the defense. The defense is decent, but you can't put the ball in the bucket. I mean, LeBron James has no spacing, and, and LeBron has never been a guy that's super twitchy with the ball, right? Like, he can't he can't always go out there and create his own shot. He has a couple bag, like moves in his bag, obviously. I mean, he's LeBron James, but he's never been super twitchy, so when you don't have a ton of spacing for him, and his primary move is essentially to drive to the basket and just out-muscle you, 
he's a little easier to stop. And we saw that yesterday against the Nuggets. The Lakers have no spacing. And against a team with some pretty bad interior defense, the Lakers couldn't do anything. So, I mean, I don't know where the Lakers go from here. They could be bottom three team in the league without their draft pick. I mean, good Lord. Lakers are screwed. Another team in the West. Let's talk about the Warriors. Again, we, we, we mentioned them earlier. I think Steph Curry is still in his prime, to be honest with you. I don't think he's falling off anytime soon. James Wiseman needs to figure it out on the defensive end. Klay Thompson needs to figure it out on the offensive end. Jordan Poole is great offensively, but I don't know where that locker room is in terms of the Draymond Green-Jordan Poole incident. I really don't. So the Warriors are going to have a lot of questions they need to answer because you have a ton of young guys who are very talented, but there's not a lot of cohesion there offensively or defensively. And you can tell whenever you watch them play. Warriors will have stretches where they'll go on a 17-3 run and they'll look like the prime Warriors again. And then they'll give up a wide-open layup off of a made basket, and it's like, that's not the Warriors we've watched for the last seven years. So it'll be interesting to see how the Warriors kind of address that as the season goes on. Will they make trade deadline moves? Will they? I mean, at what point do you say still try and run it back with the guys that have won you these chips versus let's build a roster around Steph and not Dre and Clay and see where that takes us, you know. I'm on the I'm on the assumption that Draymond Green will be gone after this season. So I would look to move him. Um that's just what I would do. Maybe not yet, but as the trade deadline approaches for sure. Look to move Draymond Green, see what you could get for him. Other than that, the NBA as a as a whole has been really fun to watch. I'm really glad basketball is back. Basketball is my favorite sport. Um, it's a sport that I've grown up on, it's a sport that I love. So really glad that the NBA is back. We have some games tonight. We got the Warriors who are playing the Heat, the Mavericks who are playing the Nets. That'll be a fun one. The Clippers play the Thunder, and the Grizzlies play the Kings. Those are the only four games today. Um, Warriors and Heat will tell us a lot. Heat are a well-coached squad. We'll see. We'll see how the Warriors fare in that one. Mavericks and Nets will also tell us a lot. Are the Nets really that bad? Or are they going to compete all season long? Uh, Clippers, Thunder, that's not going to tell us anything. We know what the Thunder are. We know what the Clippers are. Kings, Grizzlies, that'll tell us some. I think the Kings need to try and figure this out because they have this. They have the talent to make the play-in slash playoffs. But they just can't put it together once again. Mike Brown, I'm a huge fan, but I don't know if he's the guy for the job. Uh, Kings just, I don't know where they where they go, to be honest with you. But the Grizzlies, I think I think John Morant, like I said earlier, is a guy to watch for for MVP. I think the Grizzlies are a team to watch to win the West, to be totally honest with you. When they get Jaron Jackson Jr. back, they will be scary. Desmond Bain is on the level as Klay Thompson used to be, if we're being realistic. Nobody is giving Desmond Bain the credit he deserves because that man is a lights out shooter he defies all laws of shooting that we have ever learned and he he's him he can shoot he can strap that ball so those will be some fun games to watch tonight we will be back next week around the same time i'm gonna look at uploading two podcasts per week the schedule is 
I'm going to upload a singular podcast by myself where I just kind of talk and ramble like this. We're also looking into a little debate format where I have a guest on and there are some predetermined questions from a third party and we just kind of go at it, debate for a little while. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Or I might just have guests on and we talk hoops, we talk some NFL, we talk some college football like we just did, but there are some more opinions thrown out. So that's going to wrap it up for the very first episode of the Goose Talk Pod. I'm, I mean... I'm thrilled. I'm glad that this is finally starting. This is going to be the one that we upload. It's about 30 minutes long. That's what I'm going to try and keep these singular podcasts to in terms of length. Others might be a little bit longer, but I appreciate you guys giving it a listen. It was a ton of fun, and I'll see you back next week for the second episode of the Goose Talk Pod.